to this book of Deuteronomy this morning. Uh, We're getting into a section uh, that is the Ten Commandments. You might have heard of the Ten Commandments. Um, But as as I have continued to study this book of Deuteronomy, it has struck me more and more the nature of repetitiveness found here. And when you zoom out from Deuteronomy, to, you find that the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible, they also contain certain themes or statements that are repeated again and again. And when you widen to the entire Bible, you once again come to a conclusion that certain basic things are repeated again and again. They're said explicitly. They're implied in parables. They're learned through stories or narratives. They're summed up in Proverbs. They're sung about in the Psalms. Many themes in Scripture are very repetitive. I have found in life that I don't always like things to be repeated to me again and again. At a particular job I had once, many years ago, the manager would repeat again and again to me the certain processes uh, that were part of the job at the store I worked and the company I worked for. I'm sure over time in his job, he had probably learned that without that repetitiveness that many employees would quickly forget the standards of service you were supposed to have or perhaps they'd slack off on certain details. But personally for me, I was very annoyed by this. Constant repetition. I wanted to say, yes, I got this the first several dozen times you said it to me. Have you ever felt like that? And I have found that in church, particularly in the role of preacher and teacher, sometimes people in the church do not like to have repetition either. In particular, people do not like to hear again and again themes such as sin, hell, and repentance. And this is revealed by some of the, well, I'll call it constructive criticism, I guess, that I've been offered, um, not here at Oasis, but previously in my teaching and preaching. Um, I've had people say things such as, you know, people don't need to keep hearing about sin, Pastor. Or, we get that, we're in church because we're sinners, but we're in Christ now, there's no need to continually remind us about sin. One lady came to kindly sit down with me in my office and tell me that I had overused the word repent in a particular sermon. In fact, she said I had used the word repent 31 times in one sermon. And I could just imagine she must have had a notebook with all the words of the sermon or something. I don't know how she was keeping count. I guess I wonder what other words she tracked. I don't know. The the funny thing is, I was actually preaching in that case about the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Um, so obviously, you've got to use the word repentance to preach that theme, right? But ironically, many of these comments came from people who knew about open sin in the church and wanted to ignore it. So this is fair warning that in the book of Deuteronomy, we're going to find much repetition. The reminders Moses gave to the people are topics we must evaluate to see how they apply to us here and now at Oasis Church in the year 2022. 
I think it's safe to say that when a topic or theme is repeated many times in Scripture, there's a reason for it. Sometimes the most repeated topics are those that we tend to forget. And sometimes they're repeated because they involve the things we are most likely to ignore. And sometimes it's just because they're downright serious and we need them repeated. So today we're going to look at an introduction to a presentation of the Ten Commandments. They were delivered, of course, on Mount Sinai to Moses about 40 years prior to the account we're reading today. Remember that this book of Deuteronomy is a series of addresses that Moses was giving to the people of Israel uh, before they entered the promised land. Now, the Ten Commandments are listed in their full form twice in the Old Testament. The first time is in Exodus 20, and then the second time here in Deuteronomy chapter 5. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the commandments themselves that are found in Deuteronomy 5. But today, we're going to look at how Moses began the presentation of the the Ten Commandments. And as we do that, let's consider these questions. Why does Moses need to repeat the Ten Commandments when everyone should already have known them? Why does he preface the commandments with reminders of the recent history of the Israelite people? What can we learn about the seriousness of these commandments through their repetitiveness throughout Scripture? So in chapter 4, last week we were almost to the end of chapter 4 as we talked about the cities of refuge. Um, But Moses has wrapped up the first speech in Deuteronomy and then in the very tail end of chapter 4 we find the prelude to the second speech. I'm going to read from verse 44, chapter 4, verse 44 through verse 6 of chapter 5 and that's going to be the focus this morning. This is the law that Moses set before the people of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statutes, and the rules which Moses spoke to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt, beyond the Jordan in the valley opposite Beth Peor, in the land of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon, whom Moses and the people of Israel defeated when they came out of Egypt. And they took possession of his land and the land of Og, the king of Bashan, the two kings of the Amorites who lived to the east beyond the Jordan, from Arior, Arior, sorry, <laughs> which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, as far as Mount Sirion, that is Hermon, together with all the Arabah on the east side of the Jordan and as far as the Sea of Arabah under the slopes of Pisgah. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, The statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord. So you were afraid, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
And immediately following this begins the Ten Commandments. In verse 44, this is the law that Moses set before the people of Israel. Now, to be clear, this preamble is not simply a preamble to the Ten Commandments, though it is. It's not just that, but we're going to see that it expands well beyond that. In chapter 5, the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words are listed. And if you're a lady and you want to learn more about that, there's a fabulous Bible study beginning this week um, about the Ten Commandments. Um, But we're going to see that this preamble is not just about the Ten Commandments. Um, The Ten Commandments are listed in chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, we see a very serious charge given to all. And it starts in chapter 6, verse 5. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today, by the way, this goes back and forwards from this passage in Deuteronomy 6 that I'm reading. It goes back to the Ten Commandments. It's going to go forward to more words that he's going to teach. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. At Oasis Church, we are going to take this charge very seriously. This fall, we're going to begin a journey together called D6. You've probably seen some emails I've sent on this. And it's based on this passage. I've mentioned it briefly over the past couple of months. Your governing board has been looking into this program, which is focused on the church side with Sunday school, but it goes far beyond that. You see, D6 is about following this command. And as you can see, this command to teach these things diligently to your children is actually not something outsourced to paid professionals or volunteers, but insourced in the home. Parents and grandparents alike sharing the responsibility to pass on to the next generations the knowledge of God. So D6 is a Sunday school program, but it's much more than that. It is designed to help grandparents and moms and dads to be obedient to Scripture and train their children. So in the next week or so, we're going to put out a survey about that program. So be on the lookout in your emails and on the church website. We want your input, and we want to have an idea uh, of how we can best uh, put on the program. And so for that, we, we need to evaluate who's going to participate and how many people we'll have and all that. Please be praying about your participation in this. And I am praying that the Holy Spirit will create in each of us a desire as a community of believers to move forward with excellence in taking seriously our role in learning God's ways and training others in God's ways. And it is interesting that when I began preaching through Deuteronomy, I had no idea that I would be proposing we do this D6 program because at that time, we didn't know we were going to have our building next door back and that we'd be talking about a Sunday school problem. But I'm excited that through the summer, the Lord will be speaking to us through his word 
And my prayer is that we would be filled with a sense of urgency regarding our work to know God and to make him known. So at the end of chapter 4, we see the introduction to the law. Moses set this before the people of Israel. It isn't only the Ten Commandments, but also many more laws and statutes that were given to God's people. And really, this is how God's people are to live. The repetition we see is necessary because God's people still have a tendency to stray from the path. The same is true for God's people in the church. It is mind-boggling all the things that compete for our attention. There is much to draw our attention and energy away from the things that are most important. And I'm sure that over the next few months, as we challenge each other to fully engage in D6, that there will be some pushback. You want me to get up earlier on Sunday? Someone might ask. Or when do you think I have time to do this at home with my family? Don't you realize we never stop running? Maybe that's part of the problem. And as these objections come up, perhaps some objections in your own mind, please consider what is the good portion that Jesus said Mary had chosen. How might our priorities need to be realigned? to make our life in Christ and participation in his church the main thing in our lives. So back to chapter 4, and we'll go to verse 45. These are the testimonies, the statutes, and the rules which Moses spoke to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt beyond the Jordan in the valley opposite Beth Peor, in the land of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived at Cheheshbon, whom Moses and the people of Israel defeated when they came out of Egypt. Again, the following sections include the Ten Commandments, but there's much more to it. And as we learn together, we will see how God had some very specific rules for his people. And these rules, in many cases, set them apart from the people around them. They made them a peculiar people. Weirdos, right? You think the world looks at us and our morals and we say, I'm going to stand on this moral? They say, you're weird, man. You're weird. And that's how the Israelite people felt in the communities they encountered because they were given these rules to live by that made them definitely different and they were set apart from others. So we're reminded of the defeat of Sihon and Og, which if you're interested in that, you can go on the website and listen to the previous sermon on that. Verse 47, they took possession of his land and the land of Og, the king of Bashan, the two kings of the Amorites who lived on, to the east beyond the Jordan from Arior, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, as far as Mount Sirion, that is Hermon, together with all the Arabah on the east side of the Jordan as far as the Sea of Ar- the Arabah under the slopes of Pisgah. Now, having been given this introduction, now we get to the beginning of Moses' speech in chapter 5, verse 1. And it says, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. He begins with the word hear. But it has a little more impact than we may usually give it. There's a sense that this word hear goes beyond listening and actually means obey. 
So perhaps we would say, hear and obey. Are you hearing me? Is a little like sometimes, are you obeying me? I found that lesson too as a pastor. I would have people say, well, he's not listening to me, which they meant, he's not obeying me. (laughs) But that's life, right? But hear in this case means obey. Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. What good would it be to know how to do something and never do it? We aren't here, folks, just for a simple intellectual exercise. We have to be careful about this. Some of us love diving into the Bible. We love studying it, discussing it, pondering its meanings. But if all we do is sit around talking about things, how things are or should be, but we never actually do anything, we will be as worthless as Congress. Or we'll be like someone who spent their time and money to get a degree in fashion design, which most of those never actually end up working in the field they're educated in. James wrote about this. James 1.22, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You can see the echoes of Moses in what James wrote there, can't you? Moses said, learn them, be careful to do them. James said, don't hear only, but do. The one who does perseveres and will be blessed. Learn them and be careful to do them. And then he continues, Moses continues at verse 2, the Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. Moses wants the people to understand this covenant covenant is living and active. This is not the covenant God made with Abraham many generations before. The covenant God made with them in the wilderness was not merely with the generation that had perished in the wilderness. The covenant was with these people just as much as it had been with the generation that had passed over, passed away. Remember, God is the God of the living. Let's go back to the theme of repetition for a moment. All of these commandments had already been given to the people, as recorded in Exodus. At that time, the priests were charged with educating people on God's laws, and parents were also given responsibility to teach their children with many remembrances and rituals and celebrations and so forth. The people were specifically told that when you do this, and your child asks about it, then you can tell them about God's faithfulness. A great example of this is the Passover meal. It was intended to be a time of reminding all generations of how God had caused the people of Israel to be set free. Today in the church, we take the opportunity of the Lord's Supper, of baptism. We have celebrations at Christmas time and Resurrection Sunday and Good Friday to reflect and remind ourselves and to teach our children about the things of God. There's no higher desire for the Christian parent than that their children would take the faith and make it personal and real. You are not a Christian just because your parents were. 
Each generation must learn about the faith and ultimately make their own decision whether they will obey God's word and believe in Jesus. And we know from Scripture that the work of drawing people to himself or to the Father is the work of the Holy Spirit. We rely on God to draw our children to himself. But we know that the primary means God uses to draw people to himself is through the proclamation and teaching of the Bible. So if we want our children to follow Jesus, then we ought to make sure we not only know his word well ourselves, but that we take the time to teach it to them. And this job is not left only to the church. If you think that one hour or two in the Uh, two hours a week in the church is enough to offset the entire world that is bent on turning children away from God, you need a wake-up call. I saw a powerful demonstration by a youth pastor once. He had on a table up on the the stage uh, one of those really long tables, and, and the table was filled with little cups about this big, and each cup was filled with gumballs. And the balls represented the time awake a child has in a year. And one cup of those gumballs, among however many total cups there were, equaled the amount of time the child was in a church. Depending on how much time a child sleeps, there's between five and 6,000 hours awake per year. And if a child is in church even two hours a week, that's only about 100 hours per year. That's less than 2% of their waking hours. Children 8 to 10 have an average screen time of 6 hours per day. Older kids, an average of 9 hours per day. That is a lot. Kids in public schools get many hours there per year. And even in the best public schools, a certain amount of indoctrination is going on that is opposed to the biblical teaching. I've talked to our teachers, I know it. There are many Christian teachers lamenting over it. If you think that one or two or even four hours a week in church is enough to offset all the worldly influences out there, wake up. God is not surprised by the competition that each of us faces when it comes to the use of our time. He's not surprised that our sinful nature causes us often to want to turn away from his teaching and towards something that pleases our flesh. He is not surprised that we would neglect to teach his ways to our children without constant reminders in Scripture. And that is why he commanded parents to learn his ways and be careful to do them. And why he gave the specific examples that in order to teach these things diligently to our children, we should talk of them when we sit in our houses, when we walk by the way, when we lie down, when we rise. That they should guide our hands and our eyes and be written on the very doorposts and gates of our homes. Moses reminded the people the covenant was not just for the old folks. It is for the younger folks too. But they need to be told about it. They need to be challenged by it. They need to understand that our God is alive. His word is alive and active. Verse 4, the Lord spoke to you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. There it is. I'm going to finish this morning with verse 6, and Lord willing, we're going to begin with verse 6 next week. I've often said when the Ten Commandments are are listed, they should include the the statement in verse 6. John Maxwell writes that verse 6 is crucial to understanding not only the first commandment, but also the other nine. The Ten Commandments were given to a people already redeemed to enable them to express love for and have fellowship with a holy God. The Decalogue, that is the Ten Commandments, was never given to enable them to achieve justification, for that has always been granted through faith. These commands demanded a response of obedience, not because that would somehow allow them to accumulate credit in the sight of God, but because the grace of God experienced in the liberation of Egypt demanded evidence of man's gratitude and love. End quote. These commandments were given to a people already redeemed. God doesn't say to them, once you obey these commands and prove you love me, then I might redeem you. No, instead we sing with Paul these great words from Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know that no one is saved by following the law but that the one redeemed is to have a desire to reflect the love of God in keeping the commandments. And God did not leave his people to follow him with blind faith. He had shown again and again his power over nature and nations. He showed his care and concern even in the midst of the rebellion of the people. We were rebels. We committed cosmic treason. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have hearts that are deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. We did not seek God. We all sin and fall short. We made a mockery of God's order of things. We had insulted his majesty and his holiness. We were completely and utterly slaves to sin and flesh. Yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's commands, specifically the Ten Commandments that we're going to be studying, were indeed given to a people he had already redeemed from the slavery of Egypt. And so these commands were not given to a people without a witness to the holiness and power and goodness of God. And his commandments were refined and explained by Jesus and by the apostles and were blessed to have the text of the Bible to guide us. The one who loves, obeys. The proof of love of God is in the keeping of the commandments. The proof of loving Jesus is in keeping his commandments. The proof of loving the church and our fellow believers is in keeping the commandments. I started with some questions we should ask ourselves. Why does Moses need to repeat the Ten Commandments when everyone should have already known them? Why does he preface the commandments with reminders of the recent history of the Israelite people? And what can we learn about the seriousness of those commandments through their repetitiveness throughout Scripture? Now, 
I ask the questions and I'm not going to answer the questions for you. Instead, I ask you to consider for yourself what the answers are. This is called inductive learning. I'm not giving you the answer. I'm asking you to deduce for yourself from Scripture what the answer is. And having induced the answers, how will we live them out? How will we obey this word? This is called inductive learning. God has given us evidence and we deduce what we're supposed to do with it. What will our lives look like if we fully engage in hearing the words of Scripture and learning the words of Scripture and being careful to do the words of Scripture? Pray about how your own life and the life of your family and the life of this church can better reflect obedience to God's word. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word this morning. As we've just looked at this preamble and introduction, preparing us to look at the Ten Commandments in the next couple of weeks, Lord. Let us heed what Moses said. That we are supposed to hear, that is obey. We're to learn your commandments and be careful to do them. Lord, as we look at Scripture, we always compare ourselves and realize we fall short. We repent of that, Lord. We ask for your help by the Holy Spirit to be better at turning away from our sin and our fleshly desires and towards your word and towards your righteousness, Lord. We know, Lord, that we can't do without you. But we also know that you've given us a helper. Lord, I pray that the helper would help us now. Lord, that you would comfort us first knowing that when we fall short, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins. May we believe and trust in that truth, Lord. May we trust, Lord, your word that says that those in Christ are granted a cover of his righteousness so that when you, Father, look at us, you see not our unrighteousness but the righteousness of Christ that we're clothed in. We thank you for that, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you would, by the Holy Spirit, empower us to live the life you've called us to. Lord, if we've placed excuses in the way why we can't do this or that according to your word, may we be convicted and repent of that. And may we prioritize in our lives, Lord, the learning of your word, and the doing of your word. Help us to do it well as parents, Lord, as church leaders, as community leaders in our different communities where we're at. Lord, the world continues to look broken more and more sometimes. May we more and more stand out as peculiar people who follow your word, regardless of what the world around us thinks. Help us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.